0: I really think we should just give out pool noodles for each of these messages while we're giving, going through them. Uh, this morning we are going to be looking at, uh, continue our series, looking at the sacred vows of marriage. However, this morning we're going to be looking at the one that uh, is the one that's most likely to break the vows of marriage, the one that often causes the most conflict in uh, relationships more than any other. People often say the number one reason why marriages fall apart is because of that little line in there about for richer, for poorer. Uh, We always assume that we're as broke as we're ever going to be when we get married, but it seems like as if we have no idea just how broken and in debt we can ultimately someday become, which creates problems. Now, I know that anytime somebody says the phrase, it's not about the money, what's one thing you always know? It's about the money. However, when it comes to marriage, it's really not about the money. When people say the number one reason why marriages fall apart is because of the money, I'm here to tell you, it's actually not about the money. Really, it's not. That you're going to see that as we go through the course of this message. It's really not about the money. Rather, money is simply a tangible indicator as to the direction of your heart. So money is a tangible indicator as to the direction of your heart. Oftentimes, we don't know where our heart is pointing or where our heart is really at, but the money is a tangible indicator as to where your heart's pointing. Jesus tells us this over in Matthew chapter 6, 21. He says, what, where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So you can look at where somebody's storing their money, where they're putting their money, where, they, where, where, where their, their money's going, and you have a tangible indicator of the direction of their heart. <laughs> I didn't see anything, did you? No. <laughs> Sometimes when you're at home, you miss things, like people crawling across the front of the stage <laughs> to get to a seat, but that's okay. Um, so Jesus says, if you want to know where somebody's heart's at, Look to see where their treasure is. Look to see where their money's at. Now, I gotta put, I, I'm going to put a lot of scriptures together with you with this morning because God talks more about money than anything else. And so you kind of have to pull all these things to put them together to get a really cohesive understanding as to what money is in our life. I'm going to put that scripture together with what Jeremiah tells us about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, you will convince yourself that you are far more loving than you are. You will convince yourself that you love sacrificially when you don't. You will convince yourself that you love selflessly when you don't. You will convince yourself uh, that you are wholeheartedly committed to someone when you're not. You will convince yourself that you love unconditionally when you don't. Because the heart is deceitful. You will deceive yourselves into thinking you're a lot more committed than you are. This is exactly what happens to Peter at the Last Supper. Remember, he stands up and he's like, Oh, even if the rest of these clowns all run away, when it comes down to it, they're gonna have to go through me to get to you, Jesus. I'm not gonna walk away. And he looks at me and says, "Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're gonna deny me three times, right?" And then later on, when he confronts Jesus on the, or when Jesus confronts him on the beach after the resurrection, everything he asks him, he says, "Peter, do you agape me? Agape is that word of uh, unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love." And Peter looks back and he says, "Lord, you know I phileo you. I thought I agaped, but I really don't." because my heart was deceitful. I I deceived myself into thinking I was a lot more committed to you than I really was. And so I deceived myself along the way. I really don't love like that. So when I put these things together, could it be the reason that money is the number one reason why people get divorced? Could it be is because money is really pointing to where your heart's really at? And so really there's a heart issue more than there is a money issue, and the money is just revealing what the heart issue uh, that's really there. You would never admit it's a heart issue. You wouldn't think it's a heart issue because the heart is deceitful. But money is the thing that is an indicator light. It's a tangible indicator light pointing where your heart really is pointed. So when it comes to our nature, we all have a sinful nature. Every one of us in this room, we all have a sinful nature. Sometimes I'm asked, are we born sinful or do we become sinful? Do we later commit sin? Are we born in sin? How does that work? And I simply answer that question by looking at this. At the root of all sin is selfishness, and we're all born selfish, right? There's not a baby who comes out of the womb and says, Mom, I am so sorry for what I just put you through. I will do everything in my power to sleep through the night so you can have a good night rest because I don't want to put you through anything else. I will gently let you know when I'm hungry. And understand you've got other things going on. No. Babies are born absolutely selfish. And the role and job of parenting is to somehow move them from a completely selfish individual being to someone who is at least socially tolerable (laughs) later on in life, right? That's that's kind of about a decent description because selfishness never gets completely removed and whatever our parents didn't uh, remove out of us, our spouses later on have to deal with. Is that a fair statement? So that's why someday when when you get up before uh, everybody you know and before a pastor perhaps and you say things like, I take you to be my husband and wife. And to have and to hold from this day forward, no matter what blessings or trials God allows to come into our life. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, uh, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish, and to be loyal only unto you until death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. When we say that, we're making a vow of oneness. Uh, this is where Jesus says, The two become one flesh. You leave your mother and father, and the two become one flesh. And to become one flesh, you move from a you and me to a we you from a mine and yours to an ours. And that's a very difficult transition to make. The change in your status from single to married is easy. The transition from thinking about uh, in the single way to thinking in a we way is very, very difficult. And many people lag in the transition into marriage and the moving from the uh, selfishness to the oneness. Now, I often say this life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and joy for all eternity. Everything will point back to that. The reason why God gives us marriage is because it helps point us to the issue in our own heart of selfishness. You don't realize how selfish you are until you get married. Is that a fair statement? Because you begin to realize just how much you want for yourself and you want things to be done your own way. And marriage forces you into a relationship of oneness. Now, at the same time, God wants to have a loving relationship with you that's going to last for all eternity. And so he puts things in your life, like money and like marriage, to reveal to you how much you struggle with this issue of selfishness and sin in your own life. So how we manage and use money is a tangible evidence of where our heart is and whether or not we've transitioned into oneness. How we use and manage money is a tangible evidence of how well we have transitioned into oneness, oneness thinking and oneness mindset. Uh, so let's kind of explore this out a little bit more. Uh, Over in uh, Proverbs 3, 9, God says, I want you to honor me with your wealth and give to me the first fruits of all that you have. He says, I want you to honor me with your wealth and give to me the, the first portions of what you have. Now, is God after your money and is God in desperate need of your money? What's God after? He's after your heart. And where your heart is is where your treasure is. And if you really do place God above all things, you would honor God with your wealth. You'd give him what is the first of all that you have. It it points back to that. Uh, this is why right after Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is another very well-known passage on money. Just like a couple verses after that, he says, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're either going to love God or you're going to love money. You've got to choose which one it's going to be. So what is this whole thing about love of money? Um, there's several passages that talk about this, most notably. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. How's this all work out? Well, let me kind of see if I can break this down a little bit. Oftentimes, evil and sin become kind of synonymous because they're, they're right in the same ballpark. Evil is anything that which is counter to or against God's person, character, nature, or his creation. That is what is evil. Anything that's against God's person, character, or Uh, or creation is that which is evil. Sin is where we participate in or actively pursue or think about uh, anything which is against God's purpose, character, and or nature. In other words, when we sin, we are participating with or joining ourselves in an evil act. Does that make sense? So why is it that the love of money is the root of all evil? Why, Why is there sin that's going to be an outflow of this love of money? Well, at the heart of all sin is selfishness. What money promises or what money allows for is for me to indulge in every sinful desire. Anything that I want to do selfishly, I can achieve that means typically through money. And so when we want to indulge ourselves selfishly, money is the means by which we do it. Does that make sense? So when we love money, the reason why we love money is because it allows us a sinful, indulgent self-pursuit. Further, money allows me to be completely independent of God. Or at least that's what the lure of it is. God says, I want you to look to me for your sense of security. I want you to look to me for your sense of self-worth. I want you to look to me for your sense of contentment. Money, on the other hand, says, if you have enough of money, you don't need God for security. Money can buy you security. If you have enough money, you you can have a lot of self-worth. I mean, you'll feel pretty good about yourself if you have a lot of money. If you earn a lot of money, make a lot of money, don't a lot of people look to money for their sense of self-worth. And contentment, well, the more money you have, the more content you'll be. That's the lure But in the end, we all know that money can't buy security, and money can't buy self-worth, and money can't buy the contentment, it just promises it. What was the heart of the of the sin for Adam and Eve in the garden? Why did they eat of the fruit in the first place? It was the idea that whatever this opens up, whatever this offers, is a life where you're not relying on God anymore. You'll become like God. You'll know good and evil. You can make right and wrong decisions. You'll have everything you need outside of the life God has for you. So what is the pursuit of money? It's a, where I, it's a pursuit where I say, I don't need God anymore. I can pursue this and get everything I want for myself outside of God. That's why he says the love of money is the root of all evil, because it allows you to pursue a sinful path outside of God. Now, uh, one more thing I've got to add to that. I've got to go back to this series we did back, I think, in 2017 called Free where we looked at how do I, how is it that God wants me to be free? Uh, how can I be free when it comes to money? Because so many of us are in bondage with debt and other things with money. In that series, we looked at First Timothy 6. And I said, in America, believe it or not, we don't really love money. It's not really a thing for us. We don't love money. If you ask, do you love money? I don't, have any, I don't love money. The reason why we don't love money is because we don't really have much money. At least that's what we think. However, what we love in America is credit. We love our credit. We get excited when we hear our credit score is over 700. We, we get excited when somebody says 90 days, same as cash, right? We, we get excited when we find out we're pre-qualified, right? We get excited when we hear all these things dealing with when they When we get a little notice in the mail that says they've increased our credit limit, we, we like those kind of things. Now, I, I piously will come into church and say, yeah, the love of money is root of all evil. I don't have a love for money. But yet I find myself strangely excited when I hear that things with my credit and my availability of debt have increased somehow. What is that really? If it's not a love of money, I'm at least dating it. I don't know. i <laughs> kind of seeing how things are going to work out here. So, And that's the odd thing about America is our infatuation in credit. When we were, I we spent some time over in Israel uh, the past couple weeks. And one thing I noticed over there that really stood out was, I would say anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of the buildings are unfinished, and I'm not talking like they partially finished or living on the first floor and they just haven't finished the second floor yet. I'm talking like it is just a concrete shell and nothing else, and nobody's even using it. I mean, this is everywhere. This was in Israel and in Jordan, uh, both in the Jewish areas and the Palestinian areas. All these unfinished buildings, and so I was asking around this. I'm like, haven't these people read that thing Jesus talked about? He said something. You like, you notice. If you're going to build a building, you need to consider the cost because if you don't finish it, people are going to kind of laugh at you. and I'm kind of walking around this city, this country looking like, y'all didn't read the scriptures, what Jesus said. That's what's the problem. And they said, no, it, it's, it comes to more with a different view of, of money and credit. In America, you would never attempt to build a building if you didn't have the financing lined up. Well, people here can't get financing. So they, they save up and they build what they can and, then, and they're really excited about the fact that they've broken ground and started the process and they don't care if it takes them 20, 30 years. They're just excited that they're working on that and all these things are a work in progress even if it takes them 20 years. Whereas we would buy it and then we'd pay for it 20 years. They will spend 20 years building it. It's a totally different mindset. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I can get around that mindset. And it's really interesting how judgmental I initially was because I'm like, credit, baby. It's the answer to all these things. Why? Because we have a love and infatuation with credit and what it can do for us. So that's just a side point when you're thinking about the love of money uh, and how we use credit and the reason why we often so often get into debt is because behind that is a love of money. And behind the love of money is a pursuant of our own self-goals. So let's keep putting all this together as we move back uh, towards God. So money is an indicator of where my heart's at. God says, I want your heart which is why I want you to honor me with your wealth, which is also why every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Because every time I'm submitting money, I am pointing the direction of my heart towards something, or at least it's an indicator light of where my heart is is pointed. And so when I say I value this, or I want this, or I need this, it's a spiritual decision where I'm saying I value and need this over something else. And it's revealing where my heart is really at. And God's saying I first and foremost want your heart to be with me. And then second of all, when you make that commitment in marriage, what you're saying is, I'm giving my heart to you. Now, the question really is, is how much have I really done that? The reason why we have money arguments is because there's heart issues in the marriage. That's it. The reason we have money arguments is because we have heart issues in the marriage. Now, some of those heart issues are heart issues with God. When I'm looking to money to give me my sense of self-worth, that's an issue I've got with God, but it's going to spill over into problems in my marriage. When I'm looking to money to give me a sense of security, that's an issue in relationship I've got with, that's an issue I've got with God, but it's going to spill over into how I view money in my marriage. You see how that's going to come out? Because one person's going to be looking at money in the marriage, we've got to save, we've got to save, we've got to save, because it's a security issue, and they can't possibly rely or trust on God, and so it creates conflict in the marriage. The other person says, I need to earn more, I need to make more, we need to, we need to have more, we need to go pursue more, we need to buy more. Why? Because that's an issue of self-worth for me. Why? Because I'm not looking to God for that, and so that creates problems in the marriage. So when I have relationship problems with God when it comes to money, that's going to spill over into my marriage. Second of all, when I haven't worked out all of my selfish issues, and I'm not fully committed to oneness as I think I am, that's going to create marriage problems when it comes to money. You begin to see all this? this all comes together, how this for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer begins to create problems. People say it's a money issue when really it's a heart issue. It's either a heart issue between me and God or it's a heart issue when it comes to my oneness. Um, So uh, how do we transition from the yours and mine and the me and we, uh, sorry, the yours and mine uh, over to the ours, and how do we transition from the you and me to the we? Uh, Well, when you get married, things get more complicated. Is that a fair statement? The more complicated things get, the more you need to use the B word, the the budget word. I love when John in the video is like, budget? What's What's a budget? I know he was joking. But the thing is, is a lot of you can get by when you're single without a budget, right? You know, you want to go make a purchase. You know, so you spend a little bit more on you know something at the sporting goods store. No problem. I used to just eat peanut butter and jelly for a more extended period of time. I wouldn't go out, you know, to eat for a while. I could just sort of like come and go. The thing is, is I never had any credit card debt. Some of y'all are able to manage it well. Some of y'all weren't when you were single. Okay, I understand that. For me, I was always able to balance it really good because I could just make cuts kind of on the fly. I'd do something over here and mentally say, okay, I need to save. I need to cut back over here, and I could get by without a budget. And the same way, when we started off as a church, we didn't have a budget. Somebody asked me, look, so what's your budget? I'm like, budget? First thing for a budget, I would need money. We don't have any money as a church, so (laughs) we don't really, you know, budgeting is where we're budgeting the money that we think is going to come in. We're operating at a a deficit right now, so we don't really have anything to budget. We're just kind of getting by. Uh, Also, we didn't have anything really that needed a budget. We were just having a Sunday morning service. That's it. We didn't have small groups. We didn't have a youth program. We barely had anything for kids on a Sunday morning. Uh, we didn't have any missional relationships. We were just doing a Sunday morning service. That's it. Not a lot of complication when we first started off. However, as we grew as a church, complications entered in. Uh, we wanted to offer something more for our kids program, and so that required a budget. Uh, we, we wanted to offer something for youth at our church. and that re- Do y'all know how expensive teenagers are? <laughs> When you get one, you'll know. They're, they're expensive. Hardly a month goes by that Pastor Micah doesn't come in and goes, oh, this would be awesome. You know, and if I can get, if I, he thinks if, I, if he can get me sold on it, we're going to do it. No, it doesn't work that way. I don't make the spending decisions for the church. The, the trustees do. Uh, anyways, because teenagers are expensive, whether you're doing it for church or in your own household. Uh, we, we said, that, you know, another priority we had as a church was for small groups. One of the biggest barriers to small groups was child care. And so we said, well, we'll pay for childcare, so people can go to small groups if that's an issue. And so a lot of the small groups that happen are during times we offer paid child care. And that's why we do it, because it was an issue. Uh, we wanted to provide meals for 100 children in Nicaragua every day of the year. Well, in order to do that, we had to budget for that, because I didn't want to let the kids go roller skating and then call up somebody in Nicaragua and go, yeah, sorry, your kids ain't eating this month because our kids went roller skating. I, you can't do that, Right. So as things grew, we had to develop a budget. We had to talk about what are our priorities. Where do we want to be as a church in the future? What, what is important to us as a church? Where really is our heart as a church? And where our heart is as a church, we needed to, to predecide that's what we are gonna allocate the money for. As you, when you get married, things in life get more complicated. You may end up adding more people to your household, either through acquisition, adoption, biological creation, I don't know. But when that happens, it's, it's more and more complication enters in. All the more reason why you need to budget and plan. Some of the things you need to plan for is, is what does giving look like for us? Do we want to minimally tithe? Is that an issue for us? Do we want to really honor God with the first fruits of everything we have? Do we recognize that everything we have comes from Him and we're going to give back to Him what He's asked for and that is a tenth? Or do we want to go above and beyond that? Do we want to give a tithe and also give above and not and be generous beyond that? What do we want to do? What's our plan in that area? Uh, savings. What what is our future goals? What do we want to have money for later on down the road? And this could be where you're setting aside money just to be able to eat out uh, from time to time. It could be to set aside money for a vacation. It could be to set aside money for retirement. It could be set aside money for uh, future goals you have either for educations or putting a down payment on something or for medical issues. I mean, let's face it, insurance isn't what it used to be, right? The older you get, the more money you need to be setting aside for the fact that your body is going to break down. Or if you've taken a Dave Ramsey class, you know you need to have at least $1,000 on hand for emergencies as they come up. That's something you need to set aside for. So these are part of what you're you know, looking at when you're looking at your finances, what you have to spend. And then when you get to what you have to spend, you've got fixed costs, you've got variable costs. Your fixed costs, I mean your utilities, you can almost guess what your electric bills are gonna be. You can almost guess what your phone bill's gonna be. You, you can go through and put up all your fixed costs, things you've already committed to. And then what do you have after that? Well, can you make changes to anything along the way? Yeah you can make changes along the way. You have to be able to go through and budget these things. And here's the thing. You gotta do this together. You gotta do it together. And as you do it together, what you're gonna find is you're gonna have different values. You're gonna have different priorities. Some of those will root from issues of selfishness. Some of those will just be rooted in different issues and how you see life. We're gonna get to values in just a second. Um, but that's a part of that process. You have to do it together. Here's the second thing when you have a budget, you need to evaluate it at least once a month minimum. The two of you have to evaluate at least once a month. Weekly's good, on a daily thing kind of thing can, can work out, uh, you know, from time to time. It has to be at least once a month, where you look through and say, okay, how are we doing on our plan? Are we over, are we under, are we right on course? How's this look? Because what's gonna happen is you're gonna see that there's a conflict between budgets and behaviors. You'll always have a conflict between budgets and behaviors. And what I mean by that is, if the two of you could be absolute robots, and if your kid could ro- kids also could robotically get on the plan as well, your budget would be amazing, right? Where you direct out orders, you will not eat out, you will not stop at the convenience store, you will only fill up $20 or $30 or 40 how much? I don't know how much gas is going to cost. Anyways, <laughs> you will not stop at Starbucks. When we go out to eat, you know, you will go from the value menu, you will only drink water. I mean, if everybody in your family's behaviors were robotically controlled, budgets probably would never be a problem, Right? But it's not like that. And so what you'll find as you go through the course of a month, your behaviors don't always line up with your budget. Which means you really do honestly have two options. For some of you, the only option is to militantly force everybody to behaviorally change to conform to your budget. You know who you are. (laughs) Others will want to alter your budget to conform to your behaviors. I can't tell you which one needs to happen. There are some behaviors that are financially unsustainable. Is that a fair statement? There are some behaviors that are financially unsustainable and they have to be changed. At the same time, there are some budgetary requirements that are just not behaviorally possible. For instance, <coughs> there's a book out by Shante Feldman where she talks about difference in values and how these things come out. Uh, you know, when it comes to what, you know, is more important, just, let's just go back to the budgetary uh, conversation. Uh, what's more important? Uh, saving for retirement and, and, or maybe like a down payment on, the, on a future house or something like that or building in your relational moments and values right now. Which one's more important? That's a, that's a value discussion you have when you're doing your budget. So let's just say that you've set aside some money for each of them. However, you find behaviorally you're spending more on the relational building things than you had expected. Um, she said one of the areas that would happen between her and her husband uh, was when they'd go out to eat, uh, he would always be on the thrifty side and want to order water because after all, I mean, that's the easiest place to save when you go out to eat, you just order water, it doesn't cost you anything, everybody gives you water for free, whereas she would always either have a soft drink or a cocktail. And he'd look at it and be like, because they also lived in a place where they didn't have free refills. And So he's like, you know, we're spending, you're spending more on your beverages than we are on food. We can't do that if we're going to go out to eat. And she'd come back with, what's the point of going out to eat if I'm going to have to drink nasty water? Because she doesn't like the taste of water. And you see, both of them can look at that and think they're both right, right? Because for him, it's, we're eating out, we're checking off the box. But she would say, well, what's the point of going out to eat just to check off the box if I'm not gonna enjoy it? I'd rather just eat at home. These are the kind of behavioral versus budgetary conversations that you have to have. Now, who's right? It's not an issue of right. It's a discussion the two of you need to have in your commitment towards oneness in the relationship. I'm going to end off on this thought, though. Do you know what selfish people always say in a relationship? Every selfish person in relationship makes this one accusation. You're being selfish. <laughs> is that accurate? All right. Let's go back and review some of the things we've already learned. <laughs> At the heart of all sin is selfishness. Is there anybody in the room who doesn't struggle with sin? Is there anybody in this room who's completely removed their sinful nature and is 100% reborn and regenerate and has completely the nature and spirit of God flowing through them so much they are so in step with the spirit they no longer struggle with selfishness anymore? Is anybody like that in this room? Anybody else here also a work in progress with me? Okay. So all of us struggle with sin. Therefore, all of us are selfish. All of us struggle then with a sense of oneness. Because oneness and selfishness are opposites, are they not? Selfishness says I'm looking out for myself. Oneness says I'm looking out for us. So you will be tempted in your budgetary conversations to point the finger and say, you are being selfish. Why do you do that? Because you also are being selfish. Which is why it's not a money problem. It's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. And the more you deal with your heart problem, both between you and God and you and your relationship, the less your money will have a problem. Because your money is simply an indicator pointing to where your heart's really at. Both in your relationship with God and your relationship with them. We join with you to close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us money. that It's something that cuts through all of our lies, all of our self-deception and reveals where our heart truly is when it comes to our relationship with you? Are we really willing to honor you with the first of everything we have and trust that you'll continue to provide? Will we truly look to you for a sense of self-worth and security and contentment? Or will we look to having more and more and more in an unlimited supply of money that we might be able to have that sense of contentment and security and self-worth based on our own individualistic, independent effort? And Father, in our relationships, our money problems and our money issues and our money disagreements are an indicator that either our heart is not where it needs to be with you or our heart is not where it needs to be with the other person. (coughs) So Father, let us listen to the arguments we have and understand it's an indicator of where our heart is at. May we become more like you in our selfless love towards one another. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.